Welcome to It's All Connected, a Marvel Studios podcast brought to you by MCUExchange.com. It's all connected. Everything. Welcome to It's All Connected, episode 76. This is Russ, and join with me this week as returning host, Doug Herring. Hey, everybody. Hey. And uh, hopefully new host, uh, Matthew Arrow. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Um, so I feel a little outnumbered. Uh, both, of you, <laughs> both of you guys are contributors to MCUExchange.com. Uh, I, I guess in, in, in a way I am a contributor as well, but just not, uh, not from right. the written word, <laughs> the spoken word. Yeah, I feel like we're all part of the the same family. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So like we mentioned before, I think uh John is going to probably be on hiatus for quite some time. Uh, just he's he's just his schedule's just gotten really busy. Uh, I think as time permits and things things happen, he'll he'll be able to bop in and bop out and and hopefully like I said before we'll get Brad back on. Um so Hopefully, uh, for now it's just the three of us, but, uh, but we could bloom out and there could be four or five of us on here, uh, very easily, which would be, which would be fine. There's, there's plenty to talk about. Uh, there's gonna be plenty more to talk about here in, in just another week. Uh, as we record this, we are eight days away from the premiere of Marvel's Jessica Jones on Netflix. Eight long days. I, I, I'm yeah. telling you. It's hard to believe it's, it's almost here. I know, I know. It just seems like this was a whisper uh, not that long ago, and now you know we're counting down the the days. Yeah, they they really have moved so fast since announcing these Netflix shows, and the fact that pretty soon we'll be too too into it is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, too into it. Yeah, with three and four close on the horizon. Yeah, right, right, and yeah. A, and a second season of of Daredevil. I mean, it's. Uh, it's it's pretty wild how how well they've been received and and how well they've done. I mean, was it only was it last year that they announced them or was it 2013? I think it was near the end of 2013. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Still, I mean, that's a that's a pretty fast turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Very fast. Uh, yeah. It was it was November 2013. So two years ago almost that it was announced. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, but the you know again the quality's been good. I hear nothing but good things about about Jessica Jones. Uh, I've heard I can't reveal uh, source, but I heard it from a little birdie that John Bernthal's Punisher is the best screen adaptation of the Punisher to date. So wow, uh, so we'll that that is I, the one thing that i think gives a little bit of credence to those iron fist rumors that were swirling around a while ago about the iron fist series getting replaced with a punisher series yeah i still don't believe that that's happening but i do think that based on john bernthal i mean everything i've heard about it similarly has been really positive um i think i don't i i'll be very surprised if we don't get a punisher series with him me too yeah, yeah i i think from what we said, from folks I've talked to, that I think, given how well Daredevil season one was received critically, and uh, you know, while you know we talked about this before, Netflix doesn't give out ratings, but 
they've been extremely happy, and it looks like the attachment rate for we we talked about the numbers uh, at least on this part of it before, but the viewing and attachment rate for Daredevil was like higher than any other original scripted show that they've done. So if if the buzz contains for season two and Bernthal's performance is is again critically accepted, I I think. Uh, I think that's that's a certainty, but it, it's funny because it it just seems like this Netflix thing is almost fluid. You know, when they went into it, it seemed very, um, you know, concrete. It was going to be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. Then we're getting uh, the Defenders, and now uh, it seems like we've got some some room to, uh, uh, you know, they're they're basically kind of uh, taking the intelligence as it comes in on the ground and and uh, changing tactics uh, as appropriate. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do things, though. I mean, that's kind of not so much with Phase 3 as they have, you know, 10 movies backing them. But for Phase 1 of the movies, that's that's how Marvel Studios has kind of always done it. I mean, Ant-Man was planned to come out before Iron Man, or at least it was in the works before Iron Man was. Um, right. So, I mean, their their plans, I think, have always kind of shifted and uh, and changed based on what info they're getting. I mean, even... Even now, I say Phase 3 isn't as fluid, but they've added, since announcing it, they've added two movies and changed the schedule around three or four times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I think, um, the, I think with Daredevil, you know, they had, they had already, there was the movie version, and I think it was sort of, they wanted to test the waters to see, like, will people accept another version of this character, whereas Punisher, you know, he's had, what, three movie iterations at this point, so, I think they were maybe holding off on that a little bit and maybe also testing the waters of like the violence that they could get away with and how people would perceive that. But I think, you know, with how well Daredevil did and introducing Punisher in season two, I I really think it's it's pretty much inevitable that they'll make a Punisher series because, you know, he's so popular and they want to bring him into the MCU, I'm sure. And then, you know, having someone like John Barenthal I, I mean, without even seeing him, I'm I'm sure he's going to give an incredible performance. So it, it just seems like a foregone conclusion. Whether that means they, you know, it bumps Iron Fist or not, you know, I I personally sort of doubt that, but I definitely think it, they'll throw it in regardless. So speaking of Netflix and Jessica Jones, they dropped a second trailer for it, and. It gives us a little bit more uh, clue as to the story, but it's still very much focused on this cat and mouse between the Purple Man, Kilgrave, and Jessica, and how uh, his background affects her. But it, but it put a little bit more spotlight on her being a, the damaged character that she is. You know, hard drinking, um, you know, hard living, uh, you know, private investigator, you know, that she is. So I think this one uh, put a little bit more focus on it, but. I tell you, I I was not a fan, and we talked about this many times, but I was not the biggest fan of them thinking that uh, Kristen Ritter was maybe the best choice for Jessica Jones. But I tell you, the more I see of her performance and her look and the way she carries herself in these trailers, uh, I I will be the first to admit that I think I'm I was just dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually kind of with you. I I remember. It was about two years ago or whenever, whenever Kristen Ritter was cast, right before that, there was a list of like five people being considered the shortlist for it. And I think Alexandra Daddario was on that list. 
and I was so disappointed when it wasn't her um, because I'm a huge Alexander Daddario fan, and I think that she, and I, I still think that she would have been really good. But everything I've seen from Kristen Ritter makes me think that she was the best person for it. Yeah, I I agree. I felt the same way, and and I think you know Alexander Daddario keeps um almost being in a bunch of stuff and then <laughs> and then sort of loses out, which is a shame because yeah, you know I think she would be great in the MCU as well. But and you know with Kristen Ritter, I was like I don't know. It, it was sort of like when uh, Gal Gadot was cast as Wonder Woman. I just sort of felt like they were going with more of a petite, you know, slight framed person. And I sort of wanted to see someone like bigger and bulkier and more imposing. Um, but the more I see of her, I feel like that just doesn't even matter to me anymore. I mean, she, she just has so much intensity in her performance and she just really seems to have that attitude. And, and I fully believe that, you know, she can pull off all the feats that she's, she's pulling off. And, uh, she definitely brings the, the darkness too. So I, I'm super excited. Yeah, so I think that I think we'll probably get. I think they did this with Daredevil too. They put a couple trailers out, and then we get like a bunch of quick hits that we'll probably get over the next few days leading up to it. But uh, I know the, I guess the episode descriptions leaked out a while back. I think maybe a week or so ago. I personally stayed away from them. Yeah, I didn't read them either uh, because I yeah I don't, I don't want to be spoiled by them. I was very tempted uh, to just look at titles and and such, but I said nope. I'm gonna I'm gonna buckle under. Uh, I'm gonna stand strong, and I stayed away. So yeah, I actually I I read the first couple and then they were a bit too descriptive and I, I decided I wanted to go in spoiler free. So I've only read the first two or three episodes. Awesome. So on the cat, switching over to the casting front, uh, I guess this was news today. I, and I think again, this is in the unconfirmed, but, but uh, almost, almost confirmed pile. Uh, Amy Landecker is going to be uh, joining the cast of Dr. Strange, which Again, a strong cast gets stronger. Uh, I don't know. Have you, did either of you guys uh, catch the Amazon show Transparent? I have not. No, I haven't. Uh, I I did. So she was one of uh, the daughters of the main character, played by Jeffrey Tambor, and uh, she's very very good in the show. Uh, the show it, it was okay. I mean, I, I there are a lot of it's it's almost like the the performances in that show I think were stronger than the show itself. If if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't think they've, uh, unless you guys have heard different, I don't think they've, they've attributed her to a character as of yet. No, I think it, I don't think anybody knows yet. Yeah. I think even the report that came out that said she was cast says it's a mystery role. Yeah. So it could be yeah. something original. It could be a minor character. I mean, it, it you know, it, 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 who, who knows at this point? Yeah. I feel like, uh, sort of late in the game with age of Ultron, we had the, we had the reveal that there was um, Linda Cardinelli and then I, I forget the other um, one that was announced with her. And, and, you know, of course, Linda Cardinelli was Hawkeye's wife, but I think the other actor was just the, um, if I'm not mistaken, she was in the black widow flashbacks. Oh yes. Uh, Is that it? Uh, oh, it was, um, she was an American werewolf in London, in, in um, Paris. It was, uh, I forget her name. Well, yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. But, um, but you know, it, it, it seemed like a big casting announcement, but then I, I would say that was a pretty, pretty minor role in the end. 
So I, yeah. I wonder if it's if it's something like that that you know whether it's a big role or whether it's just a, a small sort of thing. And sometimes these casting announcements sort of make them seem like a bigger deal than they are. But yeah, Julie. Delby. I don't know. Julie Delby. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll we'll see. I'm sure more comes out. That movie is going to be, I would imagine, is going to be. I mean, obviously they're undergoing filming. I imagine things are going to heat up on that uh, pretty yeah. quickly because we're at this point we're less than a year away from release. So, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming we'd get a trailer f- around the time that Civil War launches. I don't think we'll see too much before that. Uh, yeah, I would imagine they would have to do it by then if it's November of next year. Yeah, because we're and we don't really have a major major con coming up between that. I mean, uh, they didn't show anything at New York Comic Con that was in October. Uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con is in July, which at that point Civil War will already been released. So I would imagine it would be smart to, um, you know, put that trailer in front of, in front of that movie because by then they'll yeah you know, I think they be, would have to yeah yeah especially with a movie that big and they're really going to want to make sure people know as much about Doctor Strange as possible. Because he's still pretty obscure, you know, yeah. to the average moviegoer. So, you know, Civil War is going to be massive. So it would, you know, be a good idea to to have at least a, a teaser or something. Lots of eyeballs to show. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was reading, actually, that uh, with the cast of Doctor Strange, that even that Benedict Cumberbatch is actually the only person officially announced so far. That That they still haven't come out and actually announce to white Elijah four and Tilda Swinton and stuff and Mads Mickelson. But I don't know if that's, uh, is that true? I thought Rachel McAdams was confirmed. No, I don't think she was. No, I think she's talked about it, but I don't, I don't recall Marvel. Yeah. It's hard uh, for me to keep track of, of what's an, what's an actual Marvel confirmation and what just seems like a sort of foregone conclusion. Yeah. I mean, at this point, usually if it, if it shows up in like variety or deadline Hollywood or, you know, one of the, or something like that, it's usually pretty solid. Right. But and I think that's where they've all been. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of like you guys to some degree, like until Marvel actually, like this is our press release. I mean, uh, I, I take it with a grain. Now, obviously, uh, which leads us to our next story. Uh, we've seen some photos of the filming of Doctor Strange and we see, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in his, uh, kind of with a, with a long beard and the graying hair, uh, looking very much like, um, like uh, a young Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah, that's, was, yeah, that's definitely really what I thought. Wandering of. the earth like uh, like Kane <laughs> in, in Kung Fu. Uh, but yeah, we've also was... seen Choi Ch- for as Baron Mordo. So, you know, again... Right. He's... I mean, that's what's sort of odd that they haven't announced it. Um, even though he's right at the the first set of filming they're doing, there he is, and he's he's in costume. I mean, he's yeah. he's got a pretty... You know, elaborate looking set of robes he's wearing. So looks pretty good too. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, you know, it, it definitely looks like it fits in the comic. It, but yet not feel silly. It definitely looks like it fits in the real world. Uh, so so far so good. Yeah, I love the photos that we've seen of of Doctor Strange. I think they look fantastic. And um, yeah, if, if you had pitched me a movie that's Batman Begins but with magic, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that so sounds, the fact that, that it resembles great. Batman Begins is not a problem for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it'll sort of be like the first Iron Man, Batman Begins magic, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, that's 
I think that's a sort of a no brainer. And, and if it delivers even half of that potential, then, then I'll be, I'll be excited. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last bit of news that I have is, uh, we got some, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. casting news and, uh, Mark DeCoscos has been cast as, uh, agent, as the S.H.I.E.L.D. security chief, Glyera. Uh, which is kind of funny because we've, you know, I'm wondering how they shoehorn him into the, uh, to the cast because they haven't really talked about a head of security and given everything that's going on, you'd think he would have been floating around, uh, right. somewhere by now, but uh, maybe Coulson's kept him in his back pocket. Yeah, I think one of the... I'll be interested to see how they, they explain where he's been, but I'd say one of my my little nitpicks about S.H.I.E.L.D. is that ever since it's been rebuilt, you know, we've seen our main cast of characters and we sort of see some people in the background, but I I don't really get a sense of how big the organization actually is right now and, and how many, you know, players and agents there are and, and where they're all located and stuff. So I wonder if they're going to start maybe fleshing the rest of the, the rest of shield out and show us some of the other little areas and some of the other micromanagers and things like that. Yeah. We get little hints here and there, you know, they talk about like, like in this past episode, like shield training facility, uh, right, you know, so right. it's like they're big enough for that. And then, you know, we hear about agents that are, you know, in different places of the world, especially, uh, you know, right after what happened, uh, with Civil War, but, or with, uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. But it, it just still seems, uh, yeah, it seems, it seems like we don't really have a good handle on, on how big or small the remnants are. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, though, that that's part of, you know, it just being a procedural type. I mean, really, it's it's a glorified cop show, basically. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I you could say that, I mean, CSI, you'd think that there are only, like, six CSI agents in all of New York or, or what have right, you. Right, right. Yeah, and I, and, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's nothing I ever get hung up on. It's just one of those things that I sort of wonder, you know, when I see the group, I'm like, is this it? Is this, is this all the remains of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Or are there, you know, are there other people sort of, uh, in charge of other facilities below Coulson? So, and again, well, at, yeah, at the beginning of season two, it, it did kind of feel like that was it. Right, um, exactly. Uh, but, but now I guess. He, he's gotten more resources and more agents and he's sort of built it up a little bit more. But yeah, I agree. We don't, we don't really know how much more. Right. Cause they sort of, you know, whenever they went off to afterlife and in a couple of missions this season, there's always a bunch of, uh, I mean, you know, guys in, in body armor with guns, like, yeah, like, uh, sort of hanging around with shields. So, you know, there's clearly some foot soldiers in the organization and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, again, I, I don't. I don't nitpick it too much, but I wonder if this new character will maybe highlight. You know, if he's in charge of security, is he in that base with them? Maybe he's in charge of another branch. You know, somewhere. Now, uh, I I don't know if you guys do, but I watch the DC shows on on the CW. Sure, I do. Um, yeah, and they've been doing a lot of setup for their spinoff, Legends of Tomorrow by introducing a whole bunch of characters just to kind of get them ready for, for them to go onto the spinoff. 
Right. Do you guys think there's any chance that that uh, what, what's the head of security's name? Oh, oh, Gaiera, Gliera. Gliera. Do you think there's any chance that he's being set up uh, so that when Marvel's Most Wanted finally comes, he is uh, a regular on that show? That's that's a possibility. I mean, he Mark Costco's is one of those guys like he. I, I, I guess kind of character actor-ish. Like you, when you see him, you're like, I know that guy. Like I, I know who that guy is. So, but yet he's not high profile enough where it would cost them a ton of money to probably cast him as a regular. So right. they could probably kind of get a little bit of bang for their buck and having somebody that, uh, you know, that is recognizable, but yet not super high profile. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. He could sort of be like the liaison to, to Colson and his group, and he he would be sort of like the manager, man in charge, uh, for Bobby and Hunter, and you know whoever else they have on their team. That I could I could definitely see that being the case. Cool. Well, that's the news uh, for this week, and so now we are finally going to get caught up on Agents of Shield season three. So we're going to be talking about episode six and episode seven, uh, Among Us Hide and Chaos Theory, which will get us caught up. Finally, yeah. <laughs> uh, so first up, uh, we'll talk about. I mean, we'll, we'll just talk about these sequentially because obviously the events of one directly lead to the other. Uh, and so, Among Us Hide kind of picks us up after the cliffhanger uh, from episode four, which uh, which ended with a big explosion. We weren't sure if Andrew was dead, if he was alive, what was going on. Uh, everything was kind of in limbo for us to get to uh, to the to the Simmons episode where she uh, retold she, her yeah where four, she was in limbo yeah her four thousand seven hundred twenty two hours in another dimension uh, so so this one kind of picks us up with what's going on and it and it turns out that kind of as we suspected uh, uh, Doug we talked about before that Andrew is definitely alive uh, yep no surprise there. Uh, and we'll get to the surprise of this episode at the end, uh, which I didn't really see coming, but, prob- <laughs> but probably should have. Uh, um, but, you know, we start off in May. Like, everybody's kind of upset. Like, uh, you know, Hunter kind of screwed up. And, you know, because he was so laser-focused on getting Ward, he put Andrew in danger and potentially could have got him killed. So May comes back into the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. office, and she is she's not too happy. And... I thought it was really cool that she came back and uh, I like the twist with May at the very beginning. It was now a subtle twist, but she goes after Bobby and starts attacking her. And at first you're like, wow, she's really taking this personal. And, and about halfway through, I was like, oh, I bet you she's testing her. She's, she's, you know, trying to see if she's ready or not. Uh, and sure enough, that's, that's what this was all about. She wanted to, to get Bobby back in the game because she knew anybody, you know, if there's anybody that was going to be, mad enough to go after Ward to find out what was going on, uh, it would be Bobby. And obviously she's still a little uh, pissed off at Hunter. Yeah, I uh, I, I really like that moment. I, I think I, I pretty much knew right when she attacked her what was going on, but I was not upset about what transpired because I always love when shows like this find a way for, uh, you know, two characters who are on the same side to you know have a fight because you want to see you know a fight between characters like bobby and may but you don't necessarily want to have them be against each other so i thought it was a good way to incorporate that 
And, um, you know, speaking of Cumberbatch earlier, it reminded me a lot of if you guys have seen the Sherlock series oh, yeah. uh, that he's on. Yep. Yeah. The, the first episode where, uh, Watson is still walking around with a cane. Yes. And he sort of gets him all caught up in the, the thrill of the chase at one point so that he forgets his cane, leaves it behind and gets him to realize that he was just sort of holding himself back and it was all in his head. So, uh, I, I like that they, they address that, that maybe she's been holding herself back a little bit and, and it was just, I mean, it was fantastic. I was watching it with my wife and as soon as like, you know, she like pins May down and you realize like Bobby's back, she was like, you know, oh yeah, this is finally. <laughs> we were both just like, this is awesome. Glad that Bobby's back in the field. Yeah, good to see Bobby back. And and also that scene sets up the dynamic of uh, Bobby and May, which I thought was one of the stronger parts of this episode. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it it's cool too because those those two actresses are used to doing more physical stuff. So there's a lot more that you believe it's them doing it. There's not there wasn't at least for me there wasn't as much of the oh that's a, clearly a body double that's come in to do that i mean obviously yeah. there's some of that because you know some of that stuff is pretty crazy um and would need somebody you know a trained stunt person but but again i mean you know that's one of the things that adrian Pilecki said drew her to the show was she likes doing the physical stuff and and she enjoys you know that aspect of it and of, of course mingna uh, is is no stranger to to that as well so, so that was kind of cool to see that, you know, where they can have these two characters that can interact. It's, you know, not to, not to, to rag on Chloe Bennett, but, you know, that's one of the things when, when things get really intense with Chloe Bennett, we could see sometimes where it's clearly a stunt double. Um, yeah, right. and, and, you know, probably that's a smart thing, you know, that, like I said, that's not a, that's not a criticism, but, uh, but again, right. it's kind of cool to see it with these two. Yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, I, I, it's like you're saying, I know that there's probably a stunt double, but, they, the two of them sell it so well that, you know, I can, I can, I never question that they have that ability. And I think, um, um, Palicki especially, I just, I think because she has that height too, whenever yes. she's in a fight scene, there's something about it that I don't know if it's the effects or the directing or the choreography, but there's just something brutal about the way she fights. And I, I really do believe that she could take on just about anybody. I mean, she just sort of has like a ferocity to her. And and I really do believe that the majority of that is her and that, you know, I, that that character is a threat. And and that's great that, that they can make that work so well. Have you guys seen John Wick? Yes. I have not. Oh, you can I, see John I've, Wick. I, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that I need to. And she, uh, she plays a very prominent role in John Wick and has a very physical, perf- uh, perform, a very, f- a performance that's very physical in that, in that movie as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically like Mockingbird, uh, not constrained by, uh, TV ratings. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I, I watched for just to kill time one time. I watched the second G.I. Joe movie, which I would not recommend, <laughs> but I will say that, um, She's in it and, and she's pretty amazing. And, um, and of course, Elodie Young, who will be Electra in the next season of Daredevil is in it looking yes. very much like Electra. So it's, uh, it's almost worth it for, for, uh, for their scenes. If you've, uh, you know, maybe throw it on the background and just tune in whenever they're on screen. Yeah. If you could catch it for free, like if it's on Netflix or whatever, I, I, right. I, I just, yeah, I, I just mean... streamed it online and, you know, uh, <laughs> know had a couple hours to kill and you know it was it was fine for that (laughs) 
I forget what the deal. I had a free. I don't know if I. I can't remember what the deal was, but I had free passes uh, to to the theater when that and that was like the only movie that was out that week. And so I ended up I ended up going and checking it out. Uh, just oh, yeah. And it was pretty cool. Yeah, I've never even seen the first one, so I, I don't know how it fits into the story. But uh. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah. It's but not, I, it also didn't seem like I needed to at all. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I don't think you should lose any sleep over that. Over yeah, that. I think it was the second one was on Netflix or something, and not the first one. And I was like, that's fine. I bet I don't need to see the first one. Yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. Uh, don't want to miss out on that complicated backstory. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just all those character dynamics and relationships. Uh, I really missed out. <laughs> Heavy stuff. Uh, so then we get the the other thing that we got in this episode was we get Powers Booth playing Gideon and the one thing I'm not clear about and he's been in another two episodes now is is this the same Gideon that was member of the World Security Council or not? They kind of make you think that maybe it is, but there's nothing definitive to say that it is or it isn't or he is or he isn't. Yeah, I think I read when he was cast, and I'm not positive, but I thought that somebody, maybe even Marvel, mentioned that it it was a different character. Uh, sort of like, um, I won't even try to pronounce his name, but he plays Sousa on Agent Carter, and he was, um, you know, he was in the first Avengers as like a cop oh, um, yeah, yeah. in a scene yeah. that I think was actually cut. But, um, I, so I, I, my understanding was it was sort of like that, that they had him in something as a small part and they liked him and they wanted to bring him back. But like you, I, it, it very easily seems like he could be that same character, especially given that he's Hydra and that they were pretty high up in shield. It, it sort of makes sense that it would be the same character almost. Yeah, they get a bit of a cheat, I guess, because in Avengers, he, you never saw him full on. You know, right. he was, he was, Kind of shadowy. Yeah, shadowy. And then, of yeah. course, in Winter Soldier, he was he was definitely not on the council in Winter Soldier. So right, right. Uh, you know, so it makes you wonder if you know if that. I, I I mean, I think they could play it either way, and it's fine. I actually think it would be more interesting if he was, because it would explain why he's so well connected, why he can make all these you know just basically with a phone call, and he knows where everybody's at and what's going on, and you know, has, has these cross double crosses and we'll get to, to that when we talk about chaos theory. But I, I think it would be cool if they, if it was the same guy, but, but again, it, it, it's not a yeah. huge deal if it's not. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I think it makes sense if he is the same character. Cause I mean, we'll, we'll talk about when we talk to talk about chaos theory, but uh, if he's the kind of person that is invited to a meeting with the president and a bunch of other high up figures, it makes sense that he'd have a background on the World Security Council. Yeah, it, it seems it seems really peculiar that they would cast a character, you know, to play two separate characters who were both sort of nefarious in their plans and were very high up in world security organizations. Yeah, if they <laughs> right. weren't the same character, because it, yeah, it's just that it. I don't know if you know we are just connecting imaginary dots, but it's it sort of. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense that he is the same character. And, you know, I think we, I think whether he, even if he's not supposed to be, I think we can very easily just imagine that he is. The other thing I noticed in this episode is May's not driving the bus anymore. Like she's, she's, she's not the pilot of the Zephyr. And I don't know if that's partially because she's just not a part of, 
you know, she's not fully back yet or whatever, but I just thought it was funny how she's gone from, you know, it seemed it, that was the kind of the joke in season one, like all she did was fly the plane. And so now it's funny. They got this badass new plane and she's not flying it. <laughs> yeah. I never thought I, that about didn't that. didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point though. <laughs> yeah. It could just be that, you know, they had to obviously, I guess, get another pilot while she was away or, you know, now that she's fully back in the field, they, they could sort of dispense with that. Yeah, yeah, that idea. But uh, and I guess they have a lot more, a lot more planes now. Yeah, I'm sort of a little vague on that about all, which plane is what. Is Zephyr one the main? Yeah, the yeah. main new bus. That's plane? that. Yes. that's the okay. Way I, yeah, and then okay. they've got a bunch of Quinjets uh, gotcha. lying around. But yeah, yeah, okay. And that's pretty cool. I like Zephyr one. I mean, it's kind of it kind of has great. that uh, helicarrier tech on it you know because it's got the four you know propellers that are built up in the wing to give it kind of the vertical lift and you know has the stealth capabilities like the you know like the other craft does and it's just bigger than the other uh, than the other plane they had yeah it looks fantastic and i love the design inside where it's uh it's all black but it has all the red neon led displays Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of bright red in the show so i i really like those scenes they really pop when they're when bobby and may are are in there and and then in chaos theory there's a scene where they're all inside there too yeah and we we talked about it before but just the whole may and bobby roadshow thing was awesome with them speaking uh speaking chinese to each other and you know (laughs) uh you know bobby acting like uh like may's liaison and you know, them going through the whole motions and breaking into the, I thought it was cool too when they, when they bust into the room with the safety deposit boxes and they just like pop all the locks, they throw that thing down or whatever. Yeah. It was just like, fantastic. boom. I was yeah, like, any, that's any cool. Anytime the show debuts a new gadget or, or gizmo, I always, I always enjoy those. Yeah. And it was cool because it wasn't like some crazy laser, you know, huge special effect thing. It was really right. subtle, but, but really cool. Yeah, it was a nice practical effect, and I, I really, like Doug was saying, I really like when they, you know, incorporate some of those spy gadgets and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and that, that's an easy one to plot. I, I guess when they go for a practical effect versus just some CGI, because just adds a little more, you know, pop to what's going on. Sure, sure. And yeah, I mean, like you were saying, that, that whole scene was fantastic. I, I really like that Bobby... You know, again, they pulled in a little bit of spy action with her sort of doing the the misdirect and having Fitz bring up some info on him on the scene. I I really like when they go into the the sort of spy mode and try to you know con people into things and and use their gadgets and stuff. And and then it was great that you know we got to also see them you know kick their asses in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they realize that best of both worlds. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know we talked about it a lot on. Um on on the last episode but season three seems really to be playing around with a bunch of different character relationships and and pairings that they've never done before and bobby and may is definitely another one that they've done that works really really well yeah i think um i i've i've been happy with every one of them i mean it, it definitely seems like they're consciously shaking things up which is great um because I think in season two, they'd introduced so many new characters that it was, you know, there was a couple times where I was sort of like, have, have Bobby and Sky ever met before almost? Like, yeah. it just seemed like certain, right. certain people had never shared a scene together. And so now it's nice to 
just sit down with like two or three characters and and uh, just see how they work together. And I, I I think I've enjoyed pretty much every one of them so far of the pairings. Yeah, it definitely, to kind of to your point, it definitely feels like uh, everybody finally knows each other. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all on the same team now. <laughs> And I love Hunter. I say it every week, and every week it's still true. <laughs> I just it, it, love Hunter. Whoever's writing great. Hunter, that guy, that 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 guy or gal needs needs a raise because his dialogue is written so perfectly, and his delivery to me is is just so perfect. I just I just love every minute he's on the screen. Yeah, he does such a great job. Um, Nick Blood does with with all that dialogue and the way he sells it, and. And, I, you know, one of the character pairings I've really loved is Daisy and Mac together. Yes. They, they just work fantastic together. And then after establishing them for a few episodes, it was just amazing to have Hunter as the third wheel. You <laughs> yeah, know, when yeah. they're doing surveillance on Banks and they just work so well together and they're so level-headed. And he's just, you know, like this, you know, stick of dynamite, like ruining everything, but also sort of like making things work in his own way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're ready to to kind of take the slow road, and he just jumps out of the van and yeah. and just goes for it. It's it it's just so great. He's just he uh, he kills me. But even that scene with him and Fitz, like when he was going when Fitz was yeah. saying something, he was going on about like an ex girlfriend. He's like, well, even if you take her out to this place and do this and do that, and then this bad happens, and Fitz looks at him and is like, wow, that's like a really specific reference you gave. Yeah, I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, I guess. Not to, again, I know, skipping to Chaos Theory a little bit, but just on the Hunter and his line delivery, when he sees that, that photo of Will, yes. and he says, well, I'm just going to say what we're all thinking, he's got a hog face. <laughs> yes. I just, I absolutely just love that. I mean, he's, he's just the king of, like, the one-liners and just always diffusing any situations. But he doesn't even try and be, like, sensitive about it. Like, knowing Fitz will have, like, some sensitivity to it. He's like, oh, so that's the other guy. Like, he just throws it, like, right up at him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just funny. Uh, but, yeah, I really, I really like uh, like him. I, I could see, we, you know, Doug and I talked about last week, but, you know, if, if it ends up being, you know, the Bobby and Hunter show uh, as the spinoff, I, I, I really can see a lot of great comedy interplay Oh man, uh, with yeah. with him, and I th- I think that show could be its own thing, much more than I thought it would be last season. Like last season, I was like, man, I don't know, you know, it just seems like it'd be two shows about the same thing. But I think given yeah. the direction that that Agents of Shield has gone, given those the way those two characters interact with each other, I really think it could be, you know, it could be unique enough that it would be worthwhile. But we'll see. Yeah, I they've definitely become two of my my favorites on the show and and i think seeing you know bobby getting more fight scenes and hunter getting more dialogue those are both great decisions yeah as far as i'm concerned so we find out that uh, the big thing in this episode is we find out that the atcu has been when they catch the inhumans they've basically been putting them in uh yellow goop so it, i do either of you guys watch the show fringe when fringe was on Oh yeah, I actually just rewatched it because my wife had never seen it. So nice. I watched it all when it came out, and then we just spent the summer binging, binging through it again. So yes, 
when it went very big fans. Yeah. So when they when they had the you know containers with the goop and the characters and uh, the Inhumans inside, I was like, I just had a real fringe vibe off. Yeah, of, the uh, amber. Yeah, the amber. It was a lot like that. Yeah, and it, and it sort of brings up the same uh, moral moral dilemmas that that brought up as well. Um, did you, Doug? Did you? Watch I for know it? it's. It's one of those shows that I know I need to watch, but it's just perpetually been on my list of shows to watch right, that yeah. I've never actually watched. Yeah, it's really it's really good. It's it's one of those shows that kind of does a good job of reinventing itself every season, so you don't feel like, oh, it's another season of this. Yeah, um, it, it's it's uh, yeah, I could I could go on for hours uh, <laughs> about that <laughs> show and and how great it. Yeah, it just you're right. It really does. Um, it just keeps things so fresh with the characters and the storylines by by just always doing like a twist on itself, which is really interesting. Yeah, and it's funny. Speaking of John Wick, I think there was a line at the end of the episodes when was it May that asked Bobby like after what she did, like, "Are you back?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm back," or something like that. Or yeah, Joe, so it was like an epic moment. That yeah. was another one where my wife was like, "Oh yeah," because she just stands there and yeah. The camera pans out and she's like, yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Which is funny because in John Wick, that was like a whole big thing. It's like people keep telling me I'm, I'm back. He's like, oh yeah, I guess I'm back. So it was just kind of <laughs> being that both of those characters, you know, she was in John Wick as well. And that line kind of showed up in John Wick from Keanu Reeves. I just thought, it, I don't know if that was intentional or if, if it was just coincidental, but I just thought it was, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. <laughs> did, did, um, did Bobby say that? Or I thought that was May's line when Coulson asked if she was back. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was May's line. That's yes, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, yes. It oh, was okay. May. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it was May saying that. But it just, it kind of had the same vibe to it. Right. Um, but the big reveal in this episode is, or that, that we got was, you know, May catches up with Von Strucker. He's still alive. And, you know, she's, she's trying to find out what, you know, what happened in war, you know, thinking it was Ward behind the whole thing. And Von Strucker relays to her that, you know, that it, it wasn't them that set everything off like that, that it was, it was Andrew, that Andrew transformed and he turned into Lash. And I, at the time I was like, well, that seems like it kind of came out of left field. Like I, I, you know, as I was watching the episode last week, I was like trying to put things together and figure out like, okay, what's the motivation? Like, why would that be happening? What, you know, I, I could see, okay, maybe Andrew being a human, but like, why would he be going after everybody? And it just seemed like it, it kind of came out in left field. And I mean, they, they, as we get into chaos theory, I mean, they, they try and explain some of it away, but I just, I, I didn't feel like, Holy crap! At the end of the episode, I was like, "Well, that's an odd choice, but okay." Yeah, um, I made the mistake of going on record twice saying that I was sure Andrew was not uh, <laughs> was not Lash. I said it on this podcast, and I said it in one of my breakdowns for uh, one of the episodes of Agents of Shield. I think episode four. Um, so I I can't say oh yeah I totally saw it coming because I absolutely did not I I heard the theory and I pretty much immediately dismissed it uh, so needless to say I was surprised. Yeah I I heard the theory as well at the end of episode four I heard someone talk about it and I, yeah I didn't it just it didn't seem likely to me you know it seemed like well maybe but 
I, I, I don't think I saw it coming at all and definitely not on my own, but, and I'll say, you know, Russ, like you, when, when Strucker tells May and we see the transformation, and all that, at first I sort of thought the same thing, almost like it was maybe just sort of a, a shock tactic thing. But then by the end of the episode, when, when he sort of, I think it's the sting at the end with him talking to Daisy when she's talking to Lincoln mm-hmm. and there's sort of that menace. I think that's when it finally sort of clicked to me that, and they, they get into this a little bit in chaos theory, but it made sense to me because, you know, his whole marriage and his chance at having a family and all that was, you know, ruined because of an unstable inhuman. And, you know, he lost the woman he loved and it sort of like ruined her for a little while and, and he lost the chance of building a family and, and then, uh, you know, again, we'll get into this in chaos theory, but right when he's close to sort of rebuilding that for himself, um, you know, he, he himself becomes an unstable inhuman. So that for me sort of like, at first I was like, I don't know about this, but, but by the end of the episode, I was like, you know what? I, this kind of makes sense in a way. It's sort of like bringing out this sort of like inner darkness that he's had in him. Um, and it sort of makes sense that he would, he would want to go after either unstable inhumans or maybe even all inhumans uh, because of, you know, in a way they've sort of, uh, maybe he's repressed it, but they sort of, you know, ruined his life and his happiness in a lot of ways. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's some pretty heavy, some heavy, uh, thematic stuff to, to, uh, to deal with. So I, I was, it sort of won me over, uh, with that. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm I'm truly disappointed because I I realized it had to be somebody on the inside. I mean, you know, Doug, you and I talked last week about them thinking it was Banks, and that was just way too on the nose. Like it, it just seemed like it was, you know, whenever something is like shining a spotlight on something, it's usually uh, you know, there's there's a switcheroo that they play, right? Uh, but I I thought it would be, you know, somebody else either in the ATCU or within Shield that was maybe a minor character or something like that. But so I I just when they when they kind of it's funny because when Andrew when Von Strucker was talking to May and he was like, well, you know, and started to tell what happened. I was like, and that's the moment it hit me. I was like, oh wow, it's it's a uh, it's Andrew. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like I said, it it just uh it just was was really odd. So uh, that kind of brings us to chaos theory and. So we start this episode with a flashback. So the, the kind of the point of this is to is to tie up the loose ends with who Lash is and uh you know how Andrew Garner became Lash and uh we find that he was studying Jaying's journal which documented all of the inhumans and apparently she booby trapped it which the only i that was kind of the eye rolling moment I had I was like really that's how he got exposed I would have figured like okay they're in Hawaii it's it's feasible that he would have eaten some sort of fish that yeah um, that's, that's yeah. that exposed him uh, but i i guess they needed a little bit of a plot device to say okay how does he know who to go after like right we, we saw in the previous episode where there were the two inhumans that were that were in afterlife that that were targeted specifically so that you know something needed to happen to let him know how you know lash would go after these people um, but I, it was a little eye rolly, like the the fact that it was booby trapped. I was like, really? But see, I I actually liked that because I thought it's the exact type of thing that Jia Ying would do. Yeah, I um, agree. I mean, her her whole plan in in season two was 
uh, to to just throw a bunch of uh, Terrigen crystals at people and you know see if they survived it. Um, and that was sort of her method of execution to sort of reassert the dominance of the inhuman race a little bit. Right. And I guess it just seemed like there were the crystals without the metal, though. Like that was her whole deal was the, you know, the obelisks or whatever. So, right. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to also have the metallic powder in it. I guess it wouldn't matter. Because, it wouldn't. Right. Well, actually, I think it I think it does, because I think the point of the booby trap was. You know, it was a genealogy book, and she doesn't want anybody to know about the Inhumans who's not Inhuman. That's so true, yeah. I think we were to assume that if that was a, a human who opened it, it would have killed them. And if it was an Inhuman, then they would transform, and they would be able to, you know, I guess, find their people. So as much as I, I sort of get what you're you're saying about, like, you know, why didn't someone catch that or, or that sort of the way he got turned, I, I also think it is a bit of a genius way to booby trap something, because you're either going to kill the person who opens it or you're going to, you know, transform them to your side. So, and it, and it did seem like Doug said, it does seem like the type of thing that Jaying would do, especially, you know, she, she did that to Gonzalez and, yeah. you know, did that to all the people on the, um, on the, uh, aircraft carrier. And sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I could buy but, that. Uh, I could buy that. Yeah. It's a, I think I, I was sort of of two minds about it. I, I liked it, but I can definitely see what you're saying. We also go back to Joey Gutierrez, who we haven't seen in a few episodes, but we've we've heard of. You know, uh, for whatever reason, Sky seems to have a connection with Joey, and really feels like he could he could be you know trained and you know put put to good use. And so we see in the opening sequence that uh, Andrew is evaluating him again and uh, is. Uh, is uh has much more control over his powers than uh than he did previously. And so I thought that was a really cool sequence where he takes that um what was it a, a filing cabinet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just starts spinning it and compressing it and you know changing it and actually making it into like a little, you know, gold ball. Uh I, I thought that was that was really cool that that he's he's learning you know, cause I, you know, when you first see him, he's just like, oh, everything he gets around just, that's metal just starts melting, you know, uncontrollably. So I thought it was kind of cool how, you know, they could kind of make him into somebody that if he learned control would be able to, to do these things. So. Yeah. I, Go ahead. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I was going to agree that, you know, when he was, when we first saw him and he's just melting stuff, I was like, well, how's that going to work in the field? How does that really help? And, and now they've sort of, you know, he almost has like Magneto sort of powers, so definitely seems like he's would be much more effective. So I thought that was really cool. And his his uniform has the old Shield logo too. It's the old bird. I don't know if you guys caught that, but it's the old bird logo, not the. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't the, notice that either. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's funny. Back in the early days of the show, we would speculate all the time. It's like, well, what? When do they use the new versus the old? Like, what does you know? And it always seems to be. You know, that anything that took place in the past had the bird-like logo, um, and that, you know, the, the, the new stuff seemed to be the, the new one. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, and again, I don't know if it's because they, they were using like an older facility or, uh, or whatever, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I just, just something that stuck out to me. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I couldn't tell with that facility either. I, I assumed at first, because it was called the cocoon, that it was a reference to the inhumans, but then, I just thought now that it could also be a reference to the fact that the Secret Warriors program was called Project Caterpillar, 
which itself could also just be a reference to the cocoons of the Inhumans. So, sure. um, I, I don't know if that's just a specific secret warriors facility or an Inhumans training facility or what. I just thought it was cool because that, that was like a big thing in season one, you know, the hub, the fridge, the, you know, right, right. You know, everything had a faces. name. Yeah. And so we, sort now, of, we haven't seen that in a little while. So yeah, yeah I, I it was nice to, to see, like we were saying at the beginning to see like another little, um, branch of, of shield. Yeah. I definitely think the cocoon is a secret warriors reference. And, um, speaking of, of secret warriors, uh, one of my favorite things about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., specifically this season, has been how quickly things pay off. Um, a lot of other shows, they'll, they'll sort of tease a storyline, but not tell the other characters, and they'll, they'll stretch it out for five or six episodes. Yeah. Um, whereas this, I mean, uh, we, we, the audience finds out that Andrew is Lash, and then the very next episode, everybody else finds out and they deal with that. Um, so the one storyline that they haven't been doing that with, that they are giving us the slow burn on, is the Secret Warriors. Um, we saw Joey in the first episode, and then we got not even two minutes of him in the sixth episode. Uh, and then that's it, or the seventh episode, which is the seventh episode. Uh, so the fact that we are getting, and then same with Lincoln, you know, he's been in three or four of the episodes, not every one, and even the ones that he is in, he's not necessarily a major part. Um, so I'm really interested to see. I think it'll either be, uh, the mid-season finale or early in the second half of the season, uh, once they get really into the action of the Secret Warriors, uh, story. I'm, I'm excited to see where that's gonna go, and after seeing Joey Gutierrez with a little bit more control over his powers, I'm even more excited. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I definitely think it's gonna be like the back half of, of the season. They're really gonna get into it. I think they've just been, you know, setting up stuff with the Inhumans and, you know, showing where Ward's at and all these, these little things, ATCU. I, I think once we know where the ATCU sits and once we know what Ward's plan is and now that Lash is sort of out of the way, I think they'll be able to delve into that. And, and another thing I, I was just thinking about is now that Andrew's out of the way, he was sort of the roadblock for a lot of these people. Yeah. Uh, joining, you know, the, the team. And, and I think we now know that he, you know, sort of had nefarious reasons for that. So I wonder if in the back half of the season and moving forward, we'll see the, the secret warriors, you know, there, there won't be that, uh, that sort of obstacle anymore. And maybe we'll see Daisy be able to put the team together the way she wants now. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big piece of the second half. Uh, and, and, and I think the more we hear, if, if, if truly their goal is to, is to do a spinoff show with Bobby and Hunter, I really think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is really going to spin further down the Secret Warriors hole. I think that's, that, that show is going to become more that than anything else. Uh, yeah, I, so, yeah. I agree. So it'll be so interesting which- to see. Yeah, it probably means it's a good thing that they're taking their time to really lay that groundwork for it, uh, if that's going to become the new foundation of the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and I mean, my only, uh, the only thing that I sort of hate about that is I almost wish that um, the spinoff was Secret Warriors, and then S.H.I.E.L.D. remained the show about, you know, spy stuff, just because I think Secret Warriors is, you know, ten times better of a name for a TV show than most wanted. 
Yeah. But, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But, uh, I guess, you know, probably not going to see that happen, but <laughs> we could see some sort of clunky, you know, subtitle for the second half of the season where it's like, Marvel's Agents of Shield, Secret Warriors, but that might be much of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. But that's what Gotham's been doing. Yeah. They've been yeah. tacking on Rise of the Villains before every episode, which is, you know, a little clunky, but yeah, shows, shows seem to do that sometimes. I know like the Spider-Man cartoon does that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like Web Warriors and. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like Archer did it. It was Archer Vice. Archer Vice. Yeah. Right. I just love, well, and I guess, uh, American Horror Story does that. It's yeah. not oh, yeah, common. That's true. But, uh, I just, I think Secret Warriors is just such a great phrase. And I, I really just feel like if that were the name of a TV show, it, it almost just sells itself. And being able to say, like, hey, did you see Secret Warriors last night? It's just so much better than, hey, have you seen Most Wanted? Which, you know, sounds like <laughs> a, a, a cop, yeah. you know, like a, you know, unsolved mysteries sort of thing or something. Isn't that what I always heard that the reason that the original like back in the early 80s when they did the original Secret Wars that, you know, the whole thing was a toy promotion first and a comic second. Right. And it was like a focus group that really found like the two things that boys ages <laughs> eight to 12 responded to were the word secret and war. And so they they literally <laughs> like of all the focus group of words that that kind of peaked a uh, little little you know, children's attention, those were the two, so they like just stuck them together and said, well, Yeah, if we call this Secret Wars, then we're gonna, you know, sell gangbusters. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's true. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm a little, a little bummed that that's not the name because as much as I'm excited for the show, I just think, uh, Most Wanted is a little underwhelming of a, of a title for yeah. a show. Yeah. It's, it takes I mean, place in such a fantastical world, you know? Yeah. To be, to be clear and to be fair, um, I think Most Wanted is a working title. So, oh, really? I mean, okay. I, I, I don't think that that's an official title. Um, I could true. be I wrong on that. Even, but yeah, true. since I mean, it, they haven't even done a pilot or anything, so I guess. Right, since it could, hasn't actually change. been picked up. The, the title, there's still plenty of time for it to change if they decide they want to. Um, you know, they could just go and call it Mockingbird if they wanted to. I think that would be great, yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's a, another one of my, Another one of the things that kind of bums me out, and they this is sort of an MCU problem altogether, but, you know, I don't think we've ever heard Bobby called Mockingbird or Daisy called Quake. No. no you know, they, they're really, and they do that a lot in the movies. I mean, you know, Iron Man and Captain America get their names, but I think Hawkeye's wife only jokingly called him Hawkeye. And I think he was, I think Selvig called him the Hawk one time. But, yeah. And that was uh, too. Yeah, he... He gets called Black Widow, and it's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it type thing. Black Widow does call him Hawkeye in the first Avengers movie okay. uh, as as just like, uh, hey, they're coming to you, Hawkeye. Like, that's that's it. Okay, uh, right. Um, and yeah, so we've – I can count the number of times we've heard the word Hawkeye on one right, hand. Right, right. That's – Yeah, and they always, you know, refer to them as Barton and Romanoff, you know, never Black Widow and Hawkeye. And I don't know why that sort of bugs me, but it's – Sort of with Deathlock and Mike Peterson, they do that a lot too. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's just them not quite committing to the sort of fantastical element of having these, you know, code names, but I just feel like in a sort of military context, it, it sort of makes sense. I mean, people in the military often have like call signs and code names, so it, it seems like a little weird that they're so gun shy about, you know, using these names. And yet they'll say something like, uh, 
I, to me, the the most eye rolling thing in Chaos Theory was uh, Andrew saying that I just no. felt like I had to lash out. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was like, oh Wah-wah. boy. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that, that's something they do on Flash and Arrow a lot, where they sort of just, you know, I give them credit for always using the comic book name, no matter how ridiculous it is, but there's almost always a really sort of like corny way of them getting it out there, but uh. Yeah, it seems like they uh, are a little afraid to to do that on in the MCU. Yeah, which is a shame. But I like the uh, the Quinjet docking with the Zephyr. That was pretty cool. That yeah, was a that great, was great. Yeah, the way it just kind of landed and then got sucked in, and then uh, so it, it, it more cooperation between Rosalind and Coulson. And given how this episode ends, I'm not quite sure if. Colson is playing this because he knows something's up and is trying to get to the bottom of it, or if he's truly kind of falling for it. Like if he if he truly feels like she's on the level and you know they're starting to trust each other, or or if if this is Colson just being the master spy and not being fooled by anything. I mean, we see he gets the suit back. Uh, you know, we, which we haven't seen him in a suit at all this, this season. And I know a lot of right. it, you know, they made, made a point of saying it's the hand. Uh, she helps him tie the tie, but you know, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like maybe he's putting on a front for her to say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm back to being in charge and we're good and we're going to work together in the spirit of cooperation. Um, I think it might be a little bit of both actually. You know, I, I definitely think that, I mean, their chemistry is just so good it's hard to believe that there aren't real feelings uh, between the characters. Um, but at the same time, I don't think Coulson's stupid. I think he knows that, or I, I think he's still suspicious. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think he, he seems like he always has a plan. Um, he, he also, he doesn't seem like the type of person that would, you know, sleep with someone just to, to you know, sort of trick them. So I, I feel like there's definitely like a genuine connection between them and interest in her but you know from the spy perspective i think he's probably still you know making sure to keep an eye on things but uh it, it's interesting that you bring up him back in the suit because i feel like those sort of visual cues are usually a big deal in tv shows so i, I wouldn't be surprised if if that transition you know is telling of of something happening with his character yeah, and he's even, I mean, cause she's gonna bring him kind of into the inner circle. I mean, you know, she's gonna make him in a liaison with her meeting with the president. And then, you know, they end up getting rerouted once they realize that Andrew is, uh, is Lash and that they all need to, to go stop him. Um, but I thought, you, you, you know, and then we find out that May, you know, they have that moment, you know, where May confronts Andrew and he shoots her, he shoots her with the icer. Um, but then he tries to reason with her. And I thought in, you guys kind of alluded to this earlier in, in our discussion, but that, you know, Andrew tries to relate to her. It's like, look, you had to put that little girl down, you know, because you knew she was dangerous and you knew what was going to happen and she was going to cost lives and she was going to cause chaos. Well, this urge I have to do this is kind of the same thing. And, you know, he's, he's desperately trying to relate to her to say like, look, I'm not this evil person. And, uh, May's really not having any of it. I mean, this was, this was an awesome, I, I was a little afraid we we're going to kind of start to get the 
uh, isolated, shut down, uh, very stoic May. But man, she just plays it so well. Like just the emotion in her face when she's talking to him and, you know, and, and, you know, just the, the switch between being stone cold and, and still having feelings for, for Andrew, but knowing that she's got to push that aside because, uh, you know, he's basically become a monster. I, I just, I really liked all that interaction and I thought that was a great way for Andrew to try and reason his way out of this. Like if there's any way he was going to be able to maybe get out of this, if, knowing that he's busted, you know, that would be the way to, to try and do it. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, it was just like a tour de force performance for Blair Underwood and Ming-Na Wen. It was just uh, amazing seeing them do those scenes together. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was about to say. I think they were absolutely great. And, and Blair Underwood in particular was really good uh, this episode because you you didn't quite sympathize with him, but you understood where he was coming from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he was. there's clearly some mental, uh, you know, un- instability due to the transformation, but he is coming from a place that's the same place he's coming from as a psychologist. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's his performance and, and the way they've, you know, built up his character for now, you know, last season and this season. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic, you know, a lot like Ward in that, you know, it's like you said, you don't sympathize with him because of all these people he's killed, but this is still someone that we know and is very intimately tied to other people in this family. And, and, you know, and he gives an incredible performance. So it, you know, it's, it's great to have such a, you know, richly textured villain. And when they finally corner him and, you know, they, once they kind of go full bore at him and he throws Rosalind off the side and, uh, Daisy does the really cool thing with her powers where she cushions the fall yeah, that and, was great. And, you know, that was really cool. And, and, and then when May confronts Andrew and she, you know, she shoots him and the, the, the impact of it forces him back into the containment unit and she closes it. And Coulson has that, you know, how did you know that shooting him, you know, cause she didn't have an icer. She had a full blown, you know, weapon. Uh, how, yeah. you know, how did you know that that wouldn't kill him? And she said, I didn't. And I was just like, man, that, that's, that's May right there. Like that is May. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a brutal thing. And I, you know, I sort of, I, I saw it coming a little that she was going to sort of talk him out and then shoot him when he was human. But I mean, it, it made it no less um, brutal. And, and the way that that was shot and edited, how as soon as he gets knocked into there, then he immediately transformed, pops back up and yeah. he gets gassed. It, it was so well done. And um, it's just I'm I'm very curious to see how May is moving forward because we've seen her lighten up and grow so much since the show began and come out of the shadow of of what she did in Bahrain and yeah it's hard for me to imagine that I mean something like this I I just can't even fathom how that's going to affect her character it's such a such an intense and brutal thing that she's had to go through and when Andrew pops up after transforming I mean, that's rage. Like, he immediately goes into rage and hits that glass, and May is just, like, taken aback. Because I think part of her wanted to believe that even in his, uh, you know, lash form, that, you know, at least with her, he would still be able to maintain some sort of composure or, you know, be able to kind of pull it back just a little bit. And, you know, after that moment, I think she realizes that, like, the man that she loved, the man she was married to, is gone. Like, this is... 
you know, this is it. You know, she, she went down that road of shooting him thinking she could possibly kill him. And at the same time, you know, she, you know, it's, it's like she's cut herself off from him with what she did. And she realizes that, you know, this thing taking over is cutting him off from her. So it was just a really cool exchange. Yeah, it also um, played into the other main uh, storyline of this episode, which was the difference in how the ATCU deals with humans versus the way S.H.I.E.L.D. does. Yes. And and the, the difference of opinions between Daisy and, and Rosalind. Um, and it's I, it's a really mature uh, and, and complex issue um, where you can honestly see both sides. Um, yeah. and, and at the end, when May decides it, you know, putting him in stasis until they find a cure is the best option for Lash or for Andrew. Um, and, and Daisy finally starts to come around and, and see that as well. Um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those conflicts in the show that a, a lot of times in the Marvel universe, everything's, and, and this is just because of the nature of, of comic books and super, the whole superhero genre things are very black and white. There's an obvious right answer and an obvious wrong answer. Um, and, and this is one of the few issues where I think that the, the answer is not so obvious what's right and wrong. Um, I think there are parallels to like euthanasia, um, or, or the death penalty where there are really good arguments on both sides. No, absolutely. And that was a key moment too, for both Daisy and for for May, because May ref, ref, deferred to to Daisy's judgment, which again proves to to Daisy that you know her status is increasing, that her opinion is valued, that she's a she's an important member of the team, and she understands you know being in a human as well, you know from that angle, but also from Daisy's perspective, seeing Rosalind's perspective, you know issues too that you know hey sometimes this is the only option like you know you think you know they have a you know daisy and Roz have that that exchange where daisy's like you know what you're doing is is insane like you can't do this to these people we're trying to rehabilitate them you know you can't just assume that everybody's bad and she says well you know for every daisy donson there's also a lash and i think that you know hit her to say yeah i guess you know sometimes you can't just say oh you know, we can reform these people and make it so that sometimes you can say that and it just ain't happening. Yeah. I, I, I really loved that moment when, when May deferred to Daisy because, um, I, I think one of the great things that's been happening all throughout the season is there's been a sort of subtle thread of, uh, of, you know, Daisy relating to, you know, the rest of these inhumans as, as her people. And, and it, you know, reminds me obviously a lot of, what Marvel usually does with mutants, um, and, you know, which they can't do. And so they're starting to do with, you know, inhumans, but the idea that, you know, even though Daisy's part of this team and even though, you know, she looks, you know, doesn't look like Lash or Raina, she looks like, you know, everybody else that, you know, she's still part of this, you know, minority group and they're, you know, being oppressed and they're misunderstood and, and, you know, as much as she, you know, gets to walk around with everybody else and gets to be part of this team. Like, you know, these are still her people. And so I like, you know, may, you know, asking her, her opinion, because, you know, not only as a, a shield agent, but also as, 
you know, somebody who is very connected to this, this argument and this discussion. And, you know, she wanted to know, like, you know, how do you feel about this? Because as much as, you know, he's a, a monster, he's also one of your people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really interesting and I'm curious to see, uh, if it expands, um, that, you know, like, like you said, Matthew, how the, the mutants and now the inhumans have always been a metaphor for different social groups, whether it's, uh, racial groups or, uh, the LGBTQ community or whatever. Um, and, you know, in episode one of this season, with the introduction of Joey as, you know, a, a gay inhuman who had, you know, he, and I think he mentions, you know, I've, I kept one secret too long. I don't want to keep another. Yeah. Um, but now in the past couple episodes with the ATCU, the metaphor is that being an inhuman is like, uh, living with a disease. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, 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 you know, Rosalind's husband who died of cancer and she just wishes they could have saved him and looking for a cure. Um, and, and, and I, I don't think either one is a perfect metaphor, but the, the two contrasting metaphors, it's a very, um, X-Men vibe. Sure. Because yeah, that's, yeah. uh, trying to find a cure and forcing the cure on a bunch of mutants is essentially the plot of, uh, X-Men, the last stand. Yeah. And, and as, as well as a whole bunch of comics. Right. And, and uh, you know, I think it, it is interesting to see their different sides because with Rosalind, you have somebody who's a government agent and lost, you know, her husband to cancer. So she sees this as, you know, as a government agent, she sees it as an outbreak. As someone who lost someone to cancer, she sees it as a disease. So she wants to cure it. She wants to contain it. You know, she wants to stop it. And then with Joey and Daisy, you know, we have a gay Hispanic man and an uh, Asian woman, you know. So just on that alone, and not just the inhuman thing, they're bringing from it the perspective of, you know, being minorities um, and being in in at least two groups each that are often, you know, oppressed and, and seen as different and less than. So I, I think that really helps add a lot of uh, gravitas to the, the situation that, you know, by having the, the sort of, you know, two of the faces, you know, there's Lincoln as well, but, you know, having Daisy and Joey really helps drive it home. I think even further um, the idea that, you know, it's a metaphor for, you know, for these, uh, you know, minority groups who are being, you know, oppressed. And so, uh, I, I, I really love that. I, I, I don't think they've really beat us over the head with it, which I think is great. No, no, I, agree. I think that's something that, you know, as we see more inhumans, I would love to see them explore those, the sort of social dynamics a bit more. I, I think they will. I, I think that's, you know, that, that's the, the play they're going to, they're going to go with that. And I think it, it, I think it's smart. I mean, it's, it's a way to, you know, to put a new spin on, you know, on old, um, issues that, you know, that, that people, that affect, you know, real people. So. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge X-Men fan, you know, have been for 30 plus years. So, uh, you, you know, I, I, on the comic side, you know, I, I'm not crazy about them pushing the Inhumans as the new, as the new mutants, but, you know, given on the on the cinematic side, they don't have that in play. 
you know, right. for, for them to, to go down that road makes perfect sense, uh, you know, since that's what they have to, to work with. So, yeah. And it's something that I don't think that aside from maybe the first X-Men movie, I, I don't think the Fox X-Men movies have really explored that idea too much. I mean, besides uh, the X2 with the, the whole Nightcrawler bit did you know they, that's that's true that's yeah. true so maybe the singer maybe we should just say the first two singer ones they do it with yeah. magneto and and i guess a little bit in the last stand with the cure but sure it you know it it, it definitely seems like something that's fallen to the wayside maybe a little bit yeah yeah for sure yeah it definitely wasn't a huge component of um days of future past or even first class i mean it was yeah you know right with first class it was more of the government threat of their powers yeah. but yeah they didn't really get into the whole metaphor of you know, of them, uh, you know, being outsiders and things like that. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't so much a persecution thing as it was a fear thing. Right, um, right. Even, even the same thing in Days of Future Past, which I love immensely, but, uh, but yeah, they, they, they didn't work with that as much. <clears throat> yeah. So the, the stinger on the episode is we find out that Gideon is kind of pulling the strings, pulling Rosalind's strings, or at least that's what we're led to believe. You know, it could be that maybe she's playing him, even though he thinks she's playing her. Uh, you know, who knows what's going on. Uh, but, but that was, I didn't see that coming. I really did not see that. That actually surprised me in a, in a good way, because I think it, you know, it adds another dynamic to the show to say like, okay, who's, it starts, it starts making you question everything. Like I said before, is like, is, does Coulson think she's up to something and he's playing along? Does, is he getting comfortable? Is she double crossing the, you know, the double crossers? You know, just like all of these crazy scenarios that start to play out in your head when, when that, that little stinger popped up. Yeah. yeah. I, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, a lot of people are, are immediately jumping to the conclusion that she's Hydra, and I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think it's a lot more ambiguous. Sure. And and personally, and I, this might be one of those predictions that two weeks from now I have to admit to being dead wrong on, but personally, I don't think she is Hydra. I think um, she's definitely hiding something from Coulson, but I, I don't think she is an evil character. Um, I think she has the right motives and I, she might not know the extent of Gideon Malik's motives or we might not know the extent of, of, uh, Malik's motives because we definitely, we know that he's working with Ward, but we don't really know whether or not he's Hydra. Um, we don't know exactly what he's doing. He seems to be more in it for himself. So they may just have goals that happen to align or she may just think he is a innocent World Security Council leader who she was supposed to meet at a meeting to discuss what to do about powered people. Yeah, I totally agree. I yeah, I don't think yeah. this is a situation where Roz is going to turn out to be Hydra at all. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's one of those those things with just uh, and this is one of those sort of like cynicisms I get from just watching so much TV, but. That stinger and the one at the end of episode four where we supposedly see Andrew, you know, dead in the convenience store. It's one of those things where I, I, I see what they're doing as a TV cliffhanger because, you know, in that sense, we saw his legs, but we never saw a body. And, you know, they would never kill a character like that without you seeing his face one last time before he died, especially with none of the other characters around to see him die. It's just sort of one of those rules. And, and with this one, I think it was, 
it was clear that they were being ambiguous, that they want you to be like, oh, damn, is she working with him? But, I, you know, the way I sort of see it is, just like the rest of Hydra, if he is Hydra, he's somewhere up in the ranks, and for all she knows, he's just, you know, a high-ranking politician or, you know, part of the World Security Council or, or whatever it is, and and so I think we're supposed to go, oh, you know, he was just talking to Ward, now he's talking to her, she's Hydra, but I think the reality is she probably, you know, thinks he's on her side, and in reality he's playing her. Um, and I think, you know, playing Ward probably as well, but I, I definitely don't think she's Hydra. I think, I think, she, you know, she's getting, uh, she's getting duped and, you know, probably thinks he's just, uh, you know, has the same motives that she does. And, you know, he's, he's wants the best for everything. Yeah. The other thing I guess that comes out of this episode is Ward is, is going full on for, for Coulson. Like he, yeah. He he knows if you I think what did he say if he cuts if if he cuts the head off of Colson's head off it it won't grow back you know which is kind of the yeah it's like shield won't grow back yeah, says, won't yeah. Grow back, yeah. Uh, so yeah. again it it just they're continuing down the path of making Ward you know the bad guy which I I really like I think the more they do things like they did in this episode the more likely it is that Ward is not going to be. Um, Ward is not going to be the, you know, he, he, there's no redemption for Ward, which, uh, you know, we've said many times on the show, which is perfectly fine. Uh, so I, I, I just, I just love it when he, cause I think there's always that, that thing in the back of your head that is always like, well, how, you know, is this how they're going to, you know, redeem Ward? And, and it just seems like every, every few episodes right. they push it forward to say, nope, he's a goner. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I appreciate that because a lot of, uh, I feel like, lesser tv shows would do things like that and i know that's something that uh heroes did a lot where you know they took yeah, the yeah. the serial killer bad guy and and tried to make you like him and and i you know i i i was just i've been re-watching um my wife she had never seen shield so i've been re-watching all of them and and we finally caught up so that she could see him and uh one of the great episodes in last season was the the dirty half dozen where Ward and the whole original team end up on a mission together. Yeah. And you know, there's sort of that scene where Ward, he almost pitches his redemptive arc and, you know, tries to sell it as he's sorry and he misses the family and, and all that. And there's a moment where, you know, any other TV show would, would sort of make all the other characters feel sympathetic for him. But instead they're all like, Nope, I'm glad you shot him sky. And everybody's like, yep. (laughs) Yeah. And I just love that they did that. They're like, don't worry, you know, Ward's going to be around, he's going to be a presence, sometimes they'll have to work together, but they will always hate him, nobody will ever forget the things that he did. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think at this point there's no way that Ward can get redeemed and live. Um, I could yeah. maybe see a version of the show where he has some heroic act where and, you know, he saves the team and sacrifices his own life. Um, that's the only sort of redemption I could ever see for, for Ward. Uh, there's, there's no version of this show where he's just a normal member of the team again. Yeah, no, no, there's no way. And he, I mean, and even, even the whole sacrificing himself would, 
be a little far fetched at this point because oh I mean, yeah 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 I mean he's flat you know he's shot and almost killed Bobby he's you know he he tried to kill you know he thought he was going to kill Andrew you know he's you know he he yeah I don't I just I just don't see that that happening which again is is fine because I think I think he's a much more again we were kind of beating a dead horse on this but he is a much more interesting character as a bad guy than he ever was a good guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. So that's episode six and seven, uh, of shield season three. Uh, I've got a couple corrections, actually a correction. So this will, this will be, uh, funny because, uh, in the last episode we talked about, uh, I guess it was episode uh, two when they get Simmons back and it opens up with that uh, flashback. And I totally butchered uh, the town they were in. And uh, Ross Chaplin, one of the, one of the listeners to the show, and uh, he's always posting stuff on the, on the, on the Facebook page. Uh, he sent me a little note that said, he said, you mispronounced, he said, you mispronounced, um, and he says, Gloucestershire. He says it's actually pronounced Gloucestershire, and as a as a fellow Brit, I understand what they're saying. When Hunter and his buddy were drunk, so we we talked about that too about having the, the subtitles. Um, yeah, that was great. So he says Gloucestershire, and given he's from the region, I uh, I tend to to buy that. So I'm, I appreciate the correction. I hate when I mispronounce things. So, um, but in the the other thing is uh, on the Facebook on the episode thread, um. Um, Pete Gervin said, uh, Glo- he, he said it's pronounced, uh, Gloucester, which I've also heard it being pronounced, um, that way. So I'm curious, uh, if Pete is, is from the region or is just, uh, repeating that as well. So I didn't reply back on that. Yeah. I, I know that, um, where I live, there is a neighborhood called Leicester, which is pronounced and spelled just like, uh, the town in England, which is L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. Sure. So, uh, and, you know, I know, you know, Worcester is a similar spelling and pronunciation. So, so I would think Klaus, uh, Gloucester just based on that. But, but sure. again, I, I have no idea. <laughs> a couple other little comments here uh, on the thread from, from the last episode. We have John Davis says five episodes already. And, uh, as we just went through episode seven, uh, <laughs> We're further yeah, along than that. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, how time is flying as we as we spoke of earlier. Um, and then Kevin uh, King said uh, Ming Na Wen and James Hong worked together on Mulan, and he said it would have been ironic if he'd played her father in that too. I, I agree. Wow. I've never seen Mulan. My my kids watched Mulan, but I don't. I this is one of those Disney movies I never sat through. Like I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I've never sat through the whole thing. So I didn't realize that James Hong was in Mulan as well. Yeah, I, I I saw it in the theaters when it came out, so it was a very long time ago, and haven't seen it since then. But I, at that time, I was unaware of any of the cast, so <laughs> I did not know that. That's interesting. Sure. Um, I remember it being good, though. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the last little bit that I had uh, on my list to talk about, and this is just something that I, I posted up on the Facebook page. Uh, if you go to uh, facebook.com slash podcast. Um uh, again, in just kind of talking back and forth with Ross Chaplin, one of the things he's been doing was he's he's trying to go through and get like the official 
um, like full viewing order for everything MCU related and kind of calculate. He's actually like calculated like how many minutes t- of content total there are, uh, that have Whoa. been released between all of the movies, the TV shows, the one shots, uh, all that stuff, the Netflix, uh, stuff. And so he, we, we, he kind of asked me, you know, what my opinion was on like, Agent Carter, like, do you watch it after Captain America, the first Avenger? Do you watch it, you know, right. when it viewed right. or whatever? What's your guys, like, if you were to rewatch the MCU as, as we've been through now phase one, phase two, we've got some TV stuff. If you ever decided to do a, let's rewatch this from the beginning, it, it, it's almost like the, the Star Wars question, right? You know, do you show your kids, uh, the original trilogy and then show them the prequels or do you show it to them in order? Uh, what's your, what's your guys thoughts on, on how to watch this? If you, if you, if you had to start it over. Well, to the star Wars question, uh, you don't show them the prequels and only show them the original trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as, as far as agent Carter goes, um, my, my first instinct was to say after the first Avenger, but that movie leads into the Avengers so well that I don't know that I want to disrupt it with eight episodes of a pretty much unrelated TV show. Um, so I guess between the second and third seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would be a good time. I feel like you don't want to split that season up and watch it as it aired, but... Either between the second and third seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., after all the movies. Yeah, I, this is a tough one because I actually did, um, did a rewatch of just the movies. Um, my wife and I did that, wanted to, I wanted to see everything in chronological order. So I actually, um, after watching, I started with Captain America the First Avenger and I actually stopped it before the, uh, the end bit where they recover his body and he wakes up and ended up not watching that until before, um, Avengers, but I didn't include, um, agent Carter and agents of shield at the time. But I, I am as sort of, you know, a super MCU nerd fascinated by, um, you know, sort of the fantasy that, that someday I, I would be able to watch everything in the exact chronological order but it does get tricky because then you would technically have to watch some of the flashbacks in Agents of Shield. Um, yeah. you know, like the one, you know, I'm not going to say the name, but you know, <laughs> the one in England in sure. the 1800s. And then, you know, there's a couple of Agent Carter flashbacks. And, and the tough thing with that is you don't really know where those Agent Carter flashbacks are in relation to her show. And there's also some contention about where the one shot is and, Right. And I've, I've heard some of the producers even say that it's, it's almost not, that one shot's almost not canon now that they have the show. Yeah. You know, it was almost like a pilot, like an un, you know, like a pilot that they don't release, but it was like a proof of concept type thing. Right. And then it doesn't, if you sort of sketch out the events of that, it doesn't really make sense given what we now have with the TV show. So it, it makes that a, it makes that a little tricky, unfortunately. Um, but I, I do like the idea of watching Captain America, the first Avenger as the beginning of the MCU movies, even though, you know, it didn't come out first. Um, I definitely like if I were to watch the movies chronologically, like I did, I, I like starting with with Captain America, the first Avenger, just because it almost entirely takes place, you know, in the 40s. So I also think yeah. there's something uh, it adds to Iron Man, Two If you watch Captain America, the first Avenger first. Because I agree, yeah. 
Iron Man 2 is a lot about Tony figuring out that his father wasn't an an uncaring asshole. And, um, you know. Yeah, and if you'd seen Agent Carter Carter or Captain America, the first Avenger, you'd you'd actually gotten a chance to know him. And you know that he has a lot of the same qualities that Tony does, where he does come across as cocky and arrogant, but he does kind of have a good, his heart's in the right place. Yeah, I I agree. It definitely adds a lot of um, context to that character. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's it's a tricky thing. I mean, I would, I definitely sort of, dream of of going through it all in order someday and maybe someday marvel will you know take all my money by putting out a a box set you know where you have the option of somehow watching everything in exact chronological order um, i would definitely pay for that yeah because um, then you got thor in there too right you know the the beginning part right of thor right where that, it goes that, way right. back and that would technically be i guess the first thing you yeah. you ever watch yeah well yeah because um, there's there's the beginning of thor, thor the dark world yeah, which right. is Even like the back. beginning of the universe. I don't think right. we're ever going to get anything before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe an infinity war. We might. Well, okay. So <laughs> when the collector in guardians of the galaxy sort of shows that hologram of the yeah. creation of the infinity, I, I mean, how, how I, chronological do you want right. to be here? Because I at some of, point you're destroying any sense of narrative. Exactly. And and that's why with the Captain America thing, it was sort of easy for me just because those end scenes are just very much at the end. You know, you you can you could in the movie, you know, when he crashes into the ocean, um, you could even end it after his, you know, maybe his body's recovered, but before he wakes up in New York. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would I mean, my sort of like logic of it would be the thing with the collector. If it's if it's something shown like in uh, you know, in the context of another thing, that that doesn't really count. And that's why I would almost maybe treat the flashbacks in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the stuff in Thor as as almost, you know, you can still watch those with the movie because they play into the thing you're watching. Right. And thematically, right. they're more linked. You know, the flashbacks with Agent Carter and S.H.I.E.L.D. Are, are very thematically linked to the episode you're watching of S.H.I.E.L.D. They wouldn't really be that exciting to just watch on their own. Right. Um. So I feel like in that sense, you know, and, and maybe that's even a fault of the Captain America stuff because the end stuff does play very much into the um, what happens in the film. And I think that's something I noticed when I sort of disconnected them was it's not that exciting to watch those end scenes without the context of, um, you know, the movie setting it up. So, yeah, it maybe that might be a little too uh, too anal on my part. Uh, but um but I, I definitely like the idea of, of a loose sort of chronological viewing versus viewing them in terms of, you know, when they were released. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, some feedback and uh, there are a few people that said, you know, it, I, I would watch them in the order that they premiered, you know, chronologically in the theater, not chronologically time wise, just because the things they lay down and, and the, you know, the things they put in were meant to feed off of either things to come or things that you've seen. Um, so, uh, you know, so that would be fine. Then, you know, some people said, you know, straight chronological, um, you know, would be fine too. I, I responded back and said, well, I, I think it'd be kind of cool if, if agent Carter was done, this is what I put it. If agent Carter was finished, like, okay, we get X number of seasons. I think it would be really cool to put Agent Carter, um, you know, 
between, like, after the first Avenger. Because then it's a complete story, and from a time perspective, it kind of flows a little better. You know, you go from the 40s to the later 40s, and however long Agent Carter goes, and then and then you can kind of flow into the other movies. Um, you've got Ant-Man in the mix, too, where they have that flashback at the beginning right, of, of, right. of Ant-Man. You know, that would be kind of cool. Um, so it's, 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 you know, since this stuff is still fluid, to me it doesn't seem as... Um, is important that you watch it chronologically as far as like when things took place in time. Um, but, uh, but, it, you know, so I would, I would, I told him I would either put it, you know, after Captain America, the first Avenger, or I would, I would literally put it where it was, which was between the two halves of that season of, uh, last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just because it was a good breathing point, um, for that show. Like, you know, we got all those episodes and then it was kind of a natural break point. The beginning of that season, we got bits with, um, you know, with, with, uh, Peggy Carter and the, and the commandos. So it would kind of like, you know, kind of, kind of warm you up for it, uh, to, to see it, you know, shortly after we saw those little flashbacks too. Um, the other analogy I made was, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, um, but they put this on, this is like in the early, I want to say early 80s, maybe 83 to 85 time frame. Um, and I think it was NBC they did it. They called it The Godfather, The Complete Epic. And what they did was uh, they took, the, you know, because The Godfather 2 actually goes back and forth between when um, when Marlon Brando's character was young, played by Robert De Niro, and then, the you know, the current timeline, which is Al Pacino. And so they literally start the, the, the thing. It was like a five night event. They added extra scenes that weren't in the theater and then they had a commercial time and those movies are long to begin with. Um, so it was like a four part deal that they did on TV. And, and of course they have to cut, you know, some language and, and other things like that. So they actually showed all the De Niro stuff first, the young Godfather, and then they showed Godfather one, and then they showed Godfather two with all of just the Pacino stuff done that way and that was an awesome way to watch that uh that that series oh yeah i haven't seen that oh it's incredible my grandfather taped it on on he he recorded on vhs and then and then sent it to me at one point um because there were bits that they they were going to put in the godfather 2 that didn't make sense because they were like well too much time had been passed and people wouldn't like when michael gets revenge on this person that did something to him that happened in the first movie like that just thrown into the second movie like people would be like yeah you know i don't i don't i don't remember that i don't get it you know it's not like now where everything is on demand or you know on the shelf or whatever you know you know back in the in the 70s and 80s you you know you couldn't just do that um so when they put it on TV and you're watching it all together, those parts that they added in that were never seen theatrically made sense. Um, and so it was really, it was really kind of cool. And I was hoping when they, when they did the Blu-ray release of that, that they would actually, that they would actually offer an edit that way. Um, but, but, you know, the same kind of thing. I mean, watching it purely chronologically adds just a really interesting perspective to it. So. so you could chime in on that. We still got the thread. Um, on the Facebook page there, but, uh, but that's, I think that's really all. Oh, I won one more thing. One more thing. I know I keep saying one more thing. Um, we are on the cusp. Um, it's, it's about to be star Wars everywhere. Uh, if it hasn't, if it, if you don't think it has been already, it's, it's about to get better or worse, depending on your perspective. (laughs) Um, but star Wars battlefront launches, uh, this coming Tuesday, 
uh, as we record this on Thursday night. Uh, so the 17th is when Battlefront launches. If you own a PlayStation 4 and are planning on getting Star Wars Battlefront, I created an It's All Connected community for the, for the PlayStation. Um, so if you want to be able to get together with some people, uh, you know, that kind of all have, share an interest, um, it, it's a closed group, so you'll have to send me an invite. But if you do, uh, you know, that's not, not a problem. I'll just go ahead and add you. So if you got a PlayStation, um, plan on playing Star Wars Battlefront and want to, want to play in a group as opposed to just some random knuckleheads that are, uh, a bunch of screaming, cursing 12 year olds, um, you know, check it out and, and maybe we can kind of get a group together to, to play some, some Battlefront. That's cool. I wish Sounds I had awesome. a PlayStation 4. <laughs> yeah, me too. Sounds yeah. great. Um, but I think that, that was about all I had. There's a, a lot to talk about this episode. Do, is there anything else you guys, uh, do, you know, want to talk about? Did anything we missed? Uh, stuff you want to plug coming up on the site or anything like that? Um, no, I think that's, that's about it. I, that's all I got. Yeah, yeah. My, that's, those are definitely all the points that I, I felt like I wanted to make. Well, cool. Uh, well, now that we're back on track, uh, hopefully we will be ready to go and we'll be recording to, to stay on track between now and, and whenever the break ends up coming. Uh, so next week's episode is entitled Many Heads, One Tail, uh, and, and it's tail, T-A-L-E, not T-A-I-L. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, and, and given how uh, Ward ended this episode, I, th- I think that we may know where, where that's going. But yeah, Doug, Matthew, thank you uh, guys for for joining in. Doug, thanks for coming back, and hopefully we'll all be together next week um, again to record. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, as as always, thanks for having me too. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so again, thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, again, you can head on over to Facebook.com/slash MCU Podcast. Uh, you can send us an email at itsallconnected at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to be able to kind of help support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash itsallconnected. Um, and helps keep, keep the lights on here, pays for the hosting and all that good stuff that, that, uh, uh, that goes on behind the scenes. So we appreciate everybody that's, uh, supporting our Patreon campaign. It would, it would be great if we can get a few more supporters. So, Uh, Whatever you can spare would be fantastic. Um, So until next week, um, this is Russ, Doug, and Matthew, and uh, we'll see you next week on It's All Connected.